We continue in our verse-by-verse exegetical expository study through the book of Philippians. If you'd make your way to the book of Philippians, as you likely know, the theme of Philippians is joy, joy in the Lord. In fact, the thematic verse is in our text today, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, as we continue uh, this theme of joy in, from one of the most beloved passages uh, of Scripture, most all believers with any, uh, any mileage at all on them know Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. I am quite confident I'm not going to share anything today with you or most of you that you don't already know, but I've already, just in singing um, theological truths, and the theological truth about biblical joy, uh, my heart has been sanctified in a fresh and a new way already today. Um, today, we look at a message that I've titled, The Great Physician's Prescription for Joy. As many of you know, second only to theology, biblical doctrine, the, the next great discipline and field of study in life for me is science, and specifically medicine. I was heading uh, that direction uh, a lifetime ago, and still it is my favorite. I told Kathy yet this week that when I retire from the ministry, I'm going to go to medical school. Uh, And I truly wish that were the case, Um, but of course uh, that can't be. Um, uh, Half a brain left doesn't, uh, doesn't make that happen. But I do still have a huge appreciation for the field, and hence the title of the message, The Great Physician, because Jesus is described. He's called the Great Physician, and he has a prescription, which he's already written out on the prescription pad for his people this day. If you'd look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Biblical joy is not the absence of difficulties, it's the presence of of, the, of a deep sense of well-being which will flood the hearts of those who are wholly yielded to him and fully dependent on him. You see, folks, going through life, I've had upsets. I've had difficulties. You have as well. Mine are known by you. Many of yours are known by me and others. Been there, done that, you would say, and I would say. But my joy or lack thereof is not dependent on those issues and items which visit me periodically 
and visit you, maybe are visiting you even right now. Biblical joy is the settled assurance that I am secure in, um, his, uh, in, in him and I'm significant in his plan. In other words, my life matters to God. Can I get a witness? Your life matters to God, to almighty God. It makes a difference who you are, how you are, what you're up to, how you act, how you react, and the rest, because you matter to God. This text uh, is filled with imperatives, with commands, which believers are called to trust and obey. You're commanded to trust and obey. You are commanded to experience this and express it, to experience the joy of the Lord and to, in fact, express the joy of the Lord. Let's get into it. First of all, we see in verse 4 an exhortation, in fact, commands to pursue spiritual rejoicing. It says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And both of those verbs in verse 4 are imperatives. They are a command for me to pursue, to abide in joy, to chase it down, capture it, and then live there in the joy of the Lord. Paul used this term, this word, 26 times in his writings, eight times, nearly a third of all of Pauline scripture using this word is found in the book of Philippians. Hence, the theme of Philippians is the joy that the believer is to experience. This command to pursue spiritual rejoicing wasn't theory for Paul. Mark alluded to it earlier. You remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas founded the church at Philippi, uh, Lydia, uh, the, uh, the, um, the wealthy uh, lady uh, who lived, and may- maybe she was widowed, maybe she was uh, single, never married, but she was a businesswoman in Philippi. Paul and Silas landed there on the missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. She got saved. He, uh, he exercised a demon out of a, a young a teenage girl. He was beaten for it, and then simply because of preaching the gospel, sharing the love of the Lord, he was put, they were put, into a dark, deep, yucky cell in chains with little food, with, humanly speaking, no help and no hope, and yet they were rejoicing, and at midnight, an earthquake came, a miracle from the Lord, the prison bars were uh, burst open, and the jailer, the warden of that prison, was going to commit suicide because the prisoners had escaped, he presumed. Uh, and in fact, Paul then shared with him he was saved. So it was in the midst of the most difficult circumstances for no rhyme or reason, uh, uh, no fault on Paul's part, that he experienced the joy of the Lord. And then when he wrote this very book, um, he was under house arrest in Rome. The Philippians, uh, all they knew about Paul was that he was a jailbird. (laughs) When he was with us, he was put in jail. When he's writing to us, he was put in jail. And yet, his message and his experience and what he expressed 
was the joy of the Lord. So it's not just theory, folks. It's not just a nice theological thought. Oh, that's for those especially pious people, in fact. Those who are especially pious, uh, in fact, likely need the joy of the Lord. Now, joy in the Lord does not mean that you're being giddy, that you're being silly when tragedies happen. It means that God floods you with his comforting presence, his comforting strength as you cry out to him. I have experienced so a, a, a lifetime of deep, dark days of loss as a believer and in the midst of sobbing my eyes out, crying an ocean of tears, the abiding, comforting presence and peace of God has been there. But not every single moment. Because some moments, I resorted to self-pity, blame-shifting, alibying, why me, what if, and all of the other machinations of the flesh and trickery of the devil and accusations of others will come your way. And so it is a moment by moment. Trust him now. Two seconds later, keep trusting. Oh, you're going to need to trust him again. Even another time. And all of that's over a five-minute period of time. Y'all following? So it's not one and done. It is abiding in him. It's a present tense concept. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. It's rejoicing. You notice I used that present tense concept. It's the rejoicing in him that the believer is commanded to experience. It's not denying the reality of your circumstances. It's not denying that at all. There are those here who have had cancer, presently do have cancer, likely will have cancer among the group here. And so it's not denying the reality that, it's not denying the oncology report, oh, I'm going to speak that out of existence. I'm going to name it something else and it'll be. No, not at all. It's in the midst of that. I am commanded to rejoice in him. Not put on a happy face. It's, folks, it's this. It's the assurance that the anchor holds in spite of the storm. It does. He does. He will hold on to you and not let go. And you'll experience that as you by faith say, yes, Lord, you give you take away. Your name is to be blessed. I know that when I am tried and I am victorious in this trial, I'm going to be better. I don't see it now. I don't even understand it now. But I'll be better. As Trish used to sing, when you can't trace his hand, you don't know what God is writing on the, the tablet of your life. Trust his heart. Trust his heart. Is God all good? Is God always good? Come on now. No, no, no. I, I want you to say, don't just parrot it back to me. Do you really believe and think, are you convicted that God is always good? 
yes. A thousand times yes. God can't not be good. Is God all wise? Scripture actually declares that. To the all wise God. <laughs> Therefore, he knows what he's doing and he's not out to hurt his children. Well, I can rejoice in that. I can pursue that because I'm commanded to do so. Now, this is easy to say, and it was easy for you to repeat that back to me. It's fairly easy to preach. It's pretty easy preaching material. But it's another thing to live it. It's another thing to experience it and to go through the resistance and the rejection of fretting and anger and complaining and the like and instead by faith opt for and embrace trusting and resting and accepting god i'm trusting you because you're all good and you're all wise i'm resting in you because your word says the peace of god which i don't understand will flood and guard my heart and I'm accepting what you have for me because you know best what I need. Wow, is that liberating. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to strategize and, and try to get out from underneath it. Now, that's not to say that any of us long for that. It's not, it's not spiritual to have a death wish. God has placed in us, in, in, in his creation, a preservation uh, uh, from, for life uh, and away from pain. We don't seek that, but we know that when he, in his sovereign wisdom, decides to hand this particular situation to you, that he's wise in doing it. Anybody here join me in having been widowed? Oh, Chand up. You would not have chosen that, would you? That wasn't what you anticipated you needed at that time. And yet, just by virtue of your presence here today, communicates to me, you've not thrown in the towel on God, have you? Amen? You've not thrown in the towel because he knows God's got this. And that is not making light of circumstances and difficulties. It is viewing it biblically. John MacArthur wrote, Joy is a gift from God. And as such, believers are not to manufacture it, but to delight in the blessing that all, they already possess. And notice in verse 4, to deepen this command. It doesn't just say rejoice in the Lord. It says, and again I say Rejoice at all times, always, in all circumstances. The repetition is the key to learning, and Paul said it again. In fact, he also said it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice evermore. One of the shortest verses, maybe the shortest in, uh, of the, in the epistles. Rejoice evermore. Always be rejoicing <clears throat> And notice the sphere, the arena in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. And so it is in him, within the realm of his presence and power and providence, because he, he can decide what he 
once, I'm to rejoice. Now, uh, let me pull over and park there and be brutally uh, transparent. How much time do we have here? Not that I care. <laughs> I broke my watch. I used to be able to very discreetly kind of look and, and that kind of a thing, and you didn't know it. Can't do that now. I broke my watch. I have not experienced uh, every pain that you have experienced. I don't know what it is to be an alcoholic. I don't know what it is to be a, a drug ad addict. I don't know what it is to lose a child or a grandchild. I have not experienced every situation that you have experienced. But there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common among mankind. And God will with the temptation to fret, to have anxiety, to be angry, with that, he will make a way of escape so that you can bear it, but you have to turn to him. It's not looking at my circumstance. It's not focusing on my cancer, uh, my heart attack, my stroke, or whatever it might be, and thinking that there's going to be victory in that being my focus. No, the rejoicing is in the Lord. Y'all appreciate the distinction there? See, it matters what my focus is. If I'm going to have victory, rejoice, pursue rejoicing. And then, verses 5 through 7, the application. How does, that, how does this play out? Well, I need to uh, practice emotional refreshing. Because when the temptation comes, when the trial comes, when the difficulty, the burden comes, I'm going to be beaten down. At least that's the purpose that the enemy would have for that visiting my life, the possibility is I'm going to be beaten down in the midst of that. And so the way that you achieve spiritual rejoicing when you don't feel like it is to rest and be refreshed emotionally. You see, God has made us emotional beings. Some of us, <clears throat> we'll use Kathy as a poster child. <laughs> Let their emotions know, be known to all men <laughs> and women and children. <laughs> and I do too, but I'm quiet compared to her. <laughs> so some of you dump emotions. I'm one of those. Some of you stuff emotions. No one knows what you're feeling or what you're thinking. Betsy, I'm going to put you in the dumping phase too, right here. and Chris in the, in, the, in the stuffing category, okay? Is that, is that somewhat accurate? So all of us are so one way or the other. It's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's just how God has wired us. Garrett and Catherine, I don't know Catherine as well, but I'm guessing, Garrett, you're the, you're the, you're the stuffer, and uh, uh, Catherine, you might be the one who dumps emotions. Is that even remotely accurate? They're looking at each other. Say again. Oh, you're both dumpers. <laughs> well, Garrett just restrains himself when he's in the office. <laughs> he, he, he's thinking to himself, I can't put anything more on that old man. I got to be careful with him. <laughs> That's probably what he's thinking. <laughs> so we're all emotional beings, and we're all tempted to be beaten down. But we're not to be ruled by them. Notice in verse 5, let your moderation, that is your reasonableness, your mildness, your self-control, be known to whom? To all men. Again, it's imperative. It's a command. This should be evident in your lives. 
a spirit-controlled person, believer, is not an emotion-driven believer. Because if, if it is, every, you're going to be all over the map. But a spirit-controlled believer is one who sees the big picture. God's got this. This is not, uh, the, uh, this is not the worst thing. By the way, if, uh, if you get a, a diagnosis with cancer and you're given a month to live, physical death is not the worst thing that can happen to you as a child of God. Amen? Denying the Lord, reacting in the flesh, soiling other people, that is much worse than your physical death because, say it with me, to be absent from the body for the child of God is present with the Lord. And so, pursue, practice, refreshing in him. Warren Wiersbe wrote about worry. He said, it's wrong thinking, wrong feelings about circumstances, people, or things. Fretting is the greatest thief of joy if I'm wringing my hands about that which, especially that which is out of my control, and I cannot do anything about it. Let me offer four practical points. First of all, relax during physical infirmity. Relax during physical infirmity because we're tempted to be anxious when there's injury and disease. Pain alerts us to that. And the temptation is to stress out, to wring our hands, to worry, oh no, what's going to happen? Child of God, he knows what's going to happen. Of course, he wants you to use exercise wisdom. He wants you to address it to the degree that you can, again, going back to the preservation of life. God has given that. But it's not a time for wringing of our hands. We need to be mindful that 2 Corinthians 4.16 says to us, Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, of all demographics, what demographic is most bombarded most often and relentlessly relentlessly by physical infirmity? What demographic? Come on, you can say it. The elderly. Of course we know that. And so senior adults, and I'm with you in this, be careful when this comes your way. Not if, but when, because we don't have any 110-year-olds here. Probably not going to have. But when it comes your way, be careful that you stay refreshed in your emotional expression. Secondly, renew during emotional intensity. Now, I put middle-agers here as ones most prone to be tempted. Think about this age group, middle-agers, 40 to 60 or so. Do you know that the middle-agers right now is the first time in world history that there's been a demographic, an age group, who are being tugged at both ends? The children won't grow up and the parents won't die. And they're being tugged both ways, being torn apart, you know, two horses on either side with both arms trying to rip you in half. 
uh, median, median age adults struggle with this, maybe as much as any. Parents aging, caring for them, children, grandchildren having issues, not ready for retirement yet approaching that age, bodies are changing, women going from freezing to burning up all the time, men's hair dropping from their head to their ear, from their head to their ears. <laughs> Being middle-aged is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Thirdly, recalculate during financial insecurity. Young adults are potentially prone here to, to, to fret because they leave home, they get into a house that's too large, school loans they can't pay off, entry-level position at work, babies on the way, and a very shallow fa financial foundation. And the temptation is to be anxious and to fret instead of to rejoice in the Lord. 1 Timothy 6 speaks to us about this financial stress. It says godliness with contentment. That's what's great gain. That's what's valuable. For we brought nothing into this world. It's certain that we carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, let us be content. So recalculate where you are now before the Difficulty comes. I mean, you're only one blown transmission away from a crisis. <clears throat> Fourthly, reconcile during relational instability. Reconcile during relational instability. And this applies to all of us. Because it might be parent-child, it might be church member to church member. It might be husband and wife. Uh, it could be any number of things. By the way, you know how, um, you know how the parent-child, uh, God created uh, how to fix the parent-child instability dynamic? Grandparents. Right? Yeah, we'll take them, send them over. <laughs> uh, you all not identifying. Okay, well. When I'm in a bad way with someone, even someone that I, that's not particularly close to me, there's a sense of instability. The ground is shifting, and it can be a major source of stress. Now, how do I practice emotional relaxing? First Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast my care on him because he cares for me. Isaiah 26.3, the principle, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because you trust in him. Folks, this principle is either true or it's not. If it's not true, stop preaching it. Stop believing it. And if it is true, by his grace and for his glory, then practice it. Practice emotional resting. Notice how you do it in verse 6. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Prayer is focuses on our access to God. Supplication on our asking of God. Thanksgiving on our adoration of God. It's the whole package of how my emotions stop raging and begin resting. If I will have this in my life. And then finally, the prevention. How do I head this off on the front end so I don't go through all that? Make 
the mental renewing, that is the saturation of Scripture in your mind, your heart and mind, make that a priority. Now, before the senior adult physical ailments, before the median adult uh, financial or, or relational issues and on and on. Make it a priority now. And it says that in verses 8 and 9. It gives us this, this, this rundown of renewing our minds with that which is true. Notice in verse 8. Satan is the father of lies, so I need the truth. That which is honest. It's the word for grave uh, or that which is dignified. Think on those things. Pour yourself into those things. That which is just. Same word as righteous. Thinking on that which is righteous. Which is pure. That is free from defilement. That which is lovely or agreeable or pleasant. That which is of good report. That is, it's wholesome. It edifies me and doesn't tear me down. If that will be what I prioritize, if that will be the priority in my life, then notice, the peace of God will guard my heart, verse 7, and the God of peace will guide my heart, verse 9. So either way, uh, I'm looking at it. He's guarding me and he's guiding me. As I fill the prescription from the great physician, joy will flood my soul all my days. Lord, I'm thankful for your word that biblical joy in the Lord is independent of circumstances. Paul and Silas had it while in a dungeon. Even your word for the joy set before you, Lord Jesus, endured the cross, the joy of lives redeemed and, of, uh, and changed, and of glory brought to your name. And so, Lord, would you touch the hearts of your children here this day? And any who are struggling financially, you would give wisdom and insight. Seek counsel. Any who have physical battles, be involved in a prayer group or the prayer partner calling upon you. Those with relational issues and, and whatever the need is in this hour, Lord, would you show yourself strong in these lives so that each one will immediately begin rejoicing in the Lord. And Heavenly Father, for those gathered here, watching by way of internet, who don't know you, Christ is not Lord of their lives. Would you, by your Spirit, bring repentance and faith to turn from his or her own way and turn to you for salvation? Have your will and way accomplished in this time. Lord Jesus, your blessed name we pray.